Hello and welcome to From the Rooftops, a superhero podcast because we know more about them than you do. That's more about Clay. puppets. That's talent. <laughs> we're going to leave my dark family secret about puppets aside. Uh, today we're going to talk about families because in the words of the great philosopher, this is my family. It is small and broken, but still good. And wearing spandex. Yes, indeed. We love superhero families. It's kind of a weird overlap between our general interests. Like, of all the different stuff we like, apparently one of the things we really, really love is when, you know, a group of people all decide to wear the same ridiculous type of costume. And, and just people finding each other and forming family, because that's a big deal of yeah. it, is that there, it's a, most of the time it's a found family. Somebody might be related, but it's usually this multi-generational group of people who spawn usually around a main, you know, central figure and to yeah. a family organization. It's not yeah. necessarily like a team in the way that, say, the uh, Doom Patrol or the Fantastic Four would be, or an all-star team the way the Avengers of the Justice League would be. It's more so, like, the branching out and franchising of a character framed now, in that way. We, we said earlier on that the X-Men aren't really a superhero group in the context of uh, our, our definition of superheroes. But they are definitely an example of one of those found families in a superheroic universe. And, Clay, you mentioned the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four are very obviously a family unit. That, that's, like, the thing they're modeled on. It's almost painfully structured. I mean, they're officially family, though. There's a husband, there's a wife, there's a brother, and then there's the one odd one out who also happens to be the big monster, so... Uh, he's Uncle Ben. But he ain't related to anybody, actually. No, no, which is good. Um, but that that family dynamic isn't isn't really what we're talking about here, though, exactly. because the Fantastic Four are a superhero team who were a family when they became a superhero team. It, it, it's like Bionic Six for the four people out there who remember Bionic Six. Um, it's not the same thing. What we're really interested in, you is can't count those. yourself four times. <laughs> We're really interested in the way that uh, family dynamics form and the way that these characters in these very isolated emotional spaces wind up forming a very strong emotional support network and, you know, treat each other well and come to love each other. And it's just so cool and great and good. And I'm going to be saying dumb pro wrestling style shit about brands and things and how that relates. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think a good place to start is, yeah, as you said, who they are and what they are and... One of the things I like to think about is, like, the difference between family and tribe, because there are a lot of characters who are, say, in a family, and there are no characters who are in a tribe, and there's overlap, like, the Defenders, that's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. And, you know, setting aside the weird naming issues <laughs> with Defenders, and if I tell you, go read Defenders, you can't, don't look up Defenders comics. Well, there's yeah. one out, I don't know how good it is, but it's out right now. Bad but, SEO there. But, um, anyway... There are characters in that who are part of, like, the tribe of Marvel Street characters. And yeah. then there are characters like Luke Cage, Misty Knight, Iron Fist, who are in that family of the Hero for Hire section of, like, black exploitation and martial arts characters who are all directly connected to each other in a way that, say, Daredevil isn't connected to Luke Cage, you know? Yeah. And, of course, the, like, iconic ones of, like, Batman and his large family, uh, the Super family, the Flash family, the... the extended spider community things of that nature mm. uh, a useful family. way to consider it is in narrative 
if a character in this group shows up at another character's home unannounced and it's considered like a really big uh event or a shocking thing or or a violation of boundaries they're not family yeah it's a good way to think of it from like a you know team perspective you always have off the first one and then they they start collecting people around them who start spinning off from there yeah and and that's one of the things we that that uh that differentiates this whole found family dynamic from uh, the the Fantastic Four's established actual family. In a lot of ways, we're dealing with character concepts where someone started with a character and a different creator came up with another character connected to that. And slowly, this tradition of building up and around this space resulted in this large collection of characters who kind of needed to be rationalized and connected to one another to even be able to exist as a sort of loose coalition. Like, in... The tribe context, you're dealing with a lot of characters who have common values and common goals and a common interest. Like, they all more or less come from New York and they're all more or less focused on one well-being, one view of what makes everything okay. But they're not part of each other's emotional support network in any way. They don't take care of one another except in a very broad sense. Luke Cage is not cooking Danny, Danny Rand casserole. Y- yes, he is. Like, <laughs> I would say Danny is in Luke Cage's family, but the Punisher is. Well, the Punisher's not in anybody's family. That's his whole thing. But, like, Moon Knight and Daredevil and Cloak and Dagger are not in Luke Cage's family. But Danny, Misty, Colleen, Shang-Chi. Um, uh, well, your, your Honor, Your Honor, I would, I would like to uh, retract my statement on the basis of I forgot Danny Rand was also the actual comics Iron Fist. Ah. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking martial arts douche bro from the TV show that Netflix put out. I swear I completely blanked on original Danny Rand. Right, that very long de- definitive relationship they've had since forever. Yeah, because I think of that character as Iron Fist. Oh, I don't God. even think of him as being oh. Danny Rand. <sighs> it's like the question. I couldn't tell you the question's real name. I, I completely blank on it every time. Just call him Rorschach. <laughs> God, this is so. The, 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 there's a Karate Man episode we're gonna do one day about yeah. that because uh, yeah, that's so about we're we're gonna cannonball the we're, we're, what we're gonna do. The podcast is gonna get big. We're gonna get Patreon sponsored, and we're gonna live stream you and I hate watching all of the Iron Fist TV show and just yelling at it. That will actually hurt me because I've already done that to myself. And oh no, I have real feelings not on like not just about that as a fan of the character but about what the, that character and types of characters like him represent in the greater cultural yeah. context. So, I but, watched 25 uh, minutes of it and thought, wow, I couldn't give a shit about this character for 10 seconds and you left. S- you saw everything you needed to see. <laughs> Family. Family's real, and one of the... Like, what you were talking about, one of the best things about it is, if you... For, for me, if you like everything about a character... Their setting, their character, their supporting cast, their you know general like way of doing things, uh, their enemies and all that. But you just don't like the main character. One of the good <laughs> things about superhero families is there's someone there who not just it's not like you know an off-brand version of them. Because like if I go to a different company to to experience your brand, there'll be things that are missing. You know, I go to somewhere else to get a Batman-like character. The Joker himself will not show up. But if I go to read Nightwing. Lots of Batman, actual Batman characters, including himself, will show up in that book. 
Yeah. The Midnighter can never bring everything along without it showing all the cracks. Mm-hmm. And part of part of the thing about Batman is this is a character who's been around since the 1940s. There is a lot of stuff that goes into being Batman in the culture. And that's where the family lets us keep anchors to it. Because I I can't really connect to Batman. Mm. I'm I'm not an eternally 35-year-old Lanton Jord billionaire. <laughs> like, I got the family traumas, don't get me wrong, but I don't got those family traumas. And the billionaire thing is just a real sticking point for me. Right. And but there's there's a member of a of the very large bat family that people can latch onto. And again, a guy who wears black and fights crime and is mysterious and has trauma but is not at all connected to all the things that are cool about Batman, but just has those sort of surface-level stuff, won't ever quite scratch that itch in that same way, even if you don't want Batman. And you might pick up a Batwoman book, which, hey, that's out right now, or a Nightwing book, or a Robin book, or a Red Robin book, and you're getting all the same things, but just the different the, the thing you wanted that to be different, that's different, and that connects to you in that way. Yeah. Assen- right. Essentially, it's a it's a it's it's kind of a buffet. It is the, the it is one of those things of having the cake and eating it too, where you can have everything you want and nothing you don't, plus something mm. else you do want. With a, with a bonus side effect of this means that you get then to have uh, a character you're connected to, something that you care about that can often comment on the work as a whole in the way about the things about it you don't like. Like for example, having Stephanie Brown calling Batman out. Oh man, that. I'm. I love that. I clearly picked up on that. I'm just so apprehensive that it's going to go wrong because it's oh, yeah, so yeah. easy. But right now, having that character be the one to talk back and not in a stupid shot, like to be right and that to feel like the writing knows she's right. Yeah, it's so like because they could have been like, oh, she's just saying, but you're dumb. But, but they treat her like she's right. Yeah, I'm holding my breath on that one because yeah. it, you know they could just let her have the win. They could just and do if- that. See, see, but Anarchy showed up. Yeah. I, I don't know what he's going to do, but he I saw his face, and I'm like, well, this is always a bad sign. So to explain things for the listener, Stephanie Brown is one of Batgirl. Okay, uh, Stephanie Brown was the daughter of, like, a second-rate villain known as the Clue Master, sort of like, <laughs> sort of like the Riddler, but... Real, real quick aside here. The Clue Master, the Riddler, these characters are kind of amazing because they're basically an existing criminal who is slightly easier to catch. <laughs> like, that's the thing. If he did everything he would do otherwise without leaving behind clues or without sending riddles, he would be a better criminal if he didn't have his shtick. It's always better when the Riddler doesn't do regular crimes, he just does the riddle. Like, yeah. I don't actually, like you don't need to catch me. Solve the riddle. That's the cry. I put somebody in this trap. Figure that shit out. But what? No, I don't. I didn't need to give you a clue to find me. I need to give you a clue to solve the crime. Because I and, think and that's entertaining. This, and this, by the way, connects uh, further to the Bat family in that the villains are kind of part of the family at this point. Kind of, yeah. And again, like you miss out on that if you just try to do a Batman with the uh, numbers filed off. But you don't miss that if you get a spoiler book. And like back to yeah, Steph. Sorry. I- I, I just pulled us away from talking about spoiler to talk about the Riddler, but go on, spoiler. <laughs> so yeah, Stephanie Brown become she's just like she's sick of her dad and all her bullshit. She's like, Dad, please stop. He's like, I just, I <laughs> so she becomes he's the clue master. She's the spoiler. She gives away all of his secrets to ruin all of his you know tricks. She's the one where if you have this big elaborate plan to blow someone up, and Batman shows up and she's already 
cause the plan to solve itself. She spoils yep. the game. And over time, she's become Robin, she's become um, Batgirl, and now she's back to spoiler. And she's having a pretty interesting arc as of this moment of recording in the pages of Detective. Which now, is- I, I will say... Uh, one of the one of the things about spoiler that this this at this point is now something I'm not even sure of being actually true. It's just something that's kind of like been burned into my memory of I'm pretty sure this is how the story went. When spoiler was first messing things up, it was very much treated as a sort of um, who is this mysterious character? Who 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 could they possibly be? And when they revealed that one, it was a girl. And then two, that she was basically Robin's age. That, like, you know, we had an example of kind of like an antagonistic sidekick to a villain. That blew our goddamn minds! Spoiler is great and also very troubled because I think it's it's clear that at least the earlier editorial didn't care much about her. I don't think they did not care for her, but they clearly didn't care about her. Like, there's even been, like, official word or, I guess, interviews saying that we made... We, well, of course we made her Robin as a temporary thing. I don't know why anybody thought it was going to be something. And hell, a lot of my appreciation of comics and like thinking on them, thinking about them at the level I do came from a lot of the uh, campaign to get Stephanie her fair due. See, yeah. she died during a period of time and who hasn't, whatever, but she died during the period of time when she was Robin. And all the other Robins who have died, or at that point it was just one, got a memorial in the Batcave, and she didn't. And so mm. there was a strong uh, campaign called the Girl Wonder Campaign to, you know, treat Steph with some respect until they eventually just brought her back to life. And that was the, the thing Batman said, well, she was never dead. Nobody knew this, but she, she had a child, which was a plot, you know, and she... Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, by the way, uh, the actual story we're kind of brushing over here has some really uncomfortable treatment of women uh like just just the way that women were depicted on panel um really like if you go if you go looking further into this particular era it is really uncomfortable just a warning yeah this is late 90s early 2000s spoiler got yeah. it rough and that was yeah, part of we, the issue we have learned that women exist but not exactly how to talk about them yeah has anyone met a woman one day maybe a scientist will yeah, yeah, and the the whole treatment of her was really rough, and they, they sort of sort of hand waving away of that was that she never got the acknowledgement because Batman wanted to protect her and pretend but he knew she wasn't dead. She had um, Doctor Leslie Tompkins hide her away, and she's been here and there. And this is when she comes back and becomes Batgirl, and then you know New Fifty Two happens and all that bullshit. Yeah. And so now she's back to being spoiler, which I honestly prefer because that gives her a unique methodology and gimmick and style to her you know yeah because one of the things i do love about superhero families is like genuine specialization instead of yeah. 15 instead of batman batgirl batboy batshot like everyone is like related in theme but genuinely different from each other in like style and ability and skill because that yes. adds that extra flavor like we said in the first episode it's not necessarily about what they do because what they do is fight evil it's how you know, yeah. and uh, it, it, it's like you said, it's not about a power; it's about a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, if you presented to me any given situation, like you could almost you could almost make a freaking game out of this. Where here is a scenario: you have the entire Bat Fam. You can only use one of them per scenario, and you need to come up with how they solve this scenario. You're always going to have an interesting, different answer for any given scenario with any given member of the family. 
Tim Drake has a different analytical mind and he's smaller so he can't just, you know, punch things in the face to make them go away. Uh, Nightwing can't use billions of dollars to make a project work. Stephanie Brown has all these contacts on the villain side of things who actually don't realize she's not on their side. There and is... even in, Go on. Yeah, and, and an innate understanding of how they do things. That's the biggest thing is she's not going to outfight you. She's going to let you outfight yourself. Yeah. Uh, Oracle, who... Oh, holy criminy, you could talk about Oracle for days as a member of the Bat family. Holy Cast. Cast the fact that she's two feet Cast. tall and will out beat the shit out of everything no matter what the problem is. Oh, I can yes. solve any I can solve any problem by punching it. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that and, and that's another thing I really love because you have you because you have this baseline of Batman and Batman fights good, money's good, detectives good. He does Stealth's all these good. things good. Stealth's good. He does all these things and then you can go to any of the other characters and see how they're like bars change in these different ways and one of the, I just love so much that Cassandra Kane has no infrastructural power she has no major support network she doesn't have a machine shop she can't make a special gadget but she will fight you so hard and that's part of the thing too is that it's always best when let's say your main has is sort of the all-arounder and yeah. everyone else is better at at them at their one thing that they do best uh, recently well, I'm not even that the last arc, which was cast focused and detective. He made a point. Him and Batwoman talked. Like, so what would happen if you and her fought for real? Oh, she'd beat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, are you crazy? No, she'd win. This is that yes, she's better at me at fighting. I have all this other shit going on. That's how I bridge the gap. What was I don't remember if this was a line from the comic or if it was a line from the uh it was a line from a writer talking about it, but someone used the phrase uh, a handful of ball bearings in a washing machine. <laughs> Talking about Cassandra Kane. And this like, is, yeah, she's small, but she'll shred you. And this is one of those things that always kind of puts me off about the Flash family, because they're all Flashes. They're all yeah. super fast, they all have speed force. And it's kind of like, what are they going to do? They're going to do Flash shit. Like, every time. <laughs> but, which, is, which is honestly really sad, because um, it, it makes it feel like the, the Flash has a very simple power set and we know that's not the case but it, it doesn't change that we the, the the nature of the flash as a family reduces what the flash is perceivably capable of doing because you've got four different four different guys at this point uh jay barry wally new wally um bart yeah there's two wallys now uh bart yeah. i guess you can also include max mercury in there from um you know um bart's yeah, but, like yeah the old guy but, like, if you cooked it down, you could go Wally. About four or five. Yeah, about four Jay, or five. And Jay with Barry, Impulse Wally, is a special, with Impulse is a special nebulous case because Impulse is a little odd. Yeah, it would be great. There was a version of um, Zoom, uh, the, the, the reverse flash. He didn't have super speed. He had time powers that, like, put him out of step with time. So he was always ten seconds ahead of you. So it looked like super speed unless you had super speed. And since Impulse has been gone for many years because of New 52, I'd love for him to come back in that way. Mm. I, so you, you, well, there's a lot There's a lot you can do with Impulse, and I feel that anyone who does want to do stuff with Impulse really needs to go back and read like the really original stuff about that character, because he was so good. Um, yeah. especially, especially because he's a kid who has yeah. all the time in the world, which is just something that doesn't 
Like, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. And, like, an actual child, because there's a tendency to, like, you know, especially before that era, to write teenagers older than they were, or to mm. write young people as sort of these weird fictionalized versions. Yeah. Bart was, like, 10, 12? He was very yeah. young to be out there. He, he was a Mike Waringo comic. Yeah, he was yeah. he was a little boy. Uh, the so so what we're saying is start of a new family, Billy Batson and Impulse. <laughs> anyway, seriously, the 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 Flash's family being so similar means that the only real thing they bring to differentiate themselves is mostly skill set and worldview. And so you have the oldest guy who's who's honestly well, he's a 1940s character, but he's still gonna have progressed a little bit with the times. Um, one of them's a nurse, isn't he? Hmm? Isn't no. one of the flashes? No, I'm... Uh, 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 yeah, uh, what's the crime scene investigator? Is what you think? Right, Barry yeah, is a crime yeah. scene investigator. Yeah, yeah. So he's got a very forensic skill set, and Wally's Wally. Wally tries. He tries. Yeah, but that's one of the interesting. Well, you know, uh, Jay Garrick is currently off the scene right now, and I've heard a really strong theory that he might come back as um, Johnny Thunder's lightning bolt, the thunderbolt. That would be again fantastic. We're you know speciating these characters now. We have two flashes. And a genie. <laughs> the, and that yeah, would be great. There are problems with the Flash as a family, just by, just by way of execution. We're not saying that there's an inherent flaw in it. I think there's a lot you could do with that, uh, especially given the way that the Flash treats the powers that the Flash has as a sort of, like, um, Swiss Army knife. Yeah. And I think you could do a really interesting job if you dismantled that Swiss Army knife and gave each specialization to a smaller group of people and yeah, anyway, that's that's its own thing. The the obvious iconic example, I and mean, like we've already run over it a couple of times here, is the Bat Family. Right, and it's actually what you were just talking about, like dismantling the knife, is one of the things that I especially love about Bat Families. It's kind of negative in that I've, uh, uh, superhero families are a good way to what I call contain certain evils. There are certain ideas that the culture is very fixated on, and I think there are bad ideas for the characters they have them for, and. They may not be bad ideas on their own, but they're bad ideas for Batman or for Spider-Man or what have you. Yeah. But if you have someone else who that idea fits for and they can come to embody that, you can still have those stories happening where they're best used. Um, not to go into too much detail, but I hate when people put Batman in power armor. I hate uh. when they get to, and I think it's just thematically and stylistically inappropriate and there's a conversation about power levels to be had there later, but I hate seeing it. And that's one of the reasons why I like uh, Lucas Fox, uh, Batwing, because he's running around in Batman Iron Man, Batman Iron Man suit, and he's flying around. He's a great character, and he's doing that over there. So if yeah. anybody wants that, maybe they can get their fix of it there. But another thing that's kind of controversial is I actually like the uh, arc Super Heavy, wherein uh, James Gordon becomes Batman for a while and accomplishes this task with a giant cop bat suit. <laughs> I don't right. like that. I don't like that as a status quo. I like that for two reasons. One, that keeps the bat mech over there. Two, I like that it happened in the past. I like that that happened in 2015, so that now we have a bat grandpa. Yeah, we don't. We didn't have a bat granddad, did we? We've never had, right? But any at any moment, someone can go, you know, come here and talk to him as bat granddad because he did it for a while. He didn't just do it like for one panel to distract somebody. He, he did it for a meaningful amount of time, so now it's a real thing, and now we have an elder statesman of the Bat family. Because that's one of the cool things yeah. about Jay. That was one of the cool things about Madam Web. Um, the Supergirl cartoon has done a good job. I mean, not cartoon. The show has done a good job. <laughs> of, 
It's very cartoony, to be fair. It's done a good job of wedging, like, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, into that role in her life. And I would All love right. to see them graft him into the super family in that way, so he has something to do. Well, he's he's got his own super family he's part of, which is... It, he can bring them with him, because That's... they also don't have anything to do. Yeah, they can marry he... in. They can but, marry but, into okay. the Krypton family. Okay, so so here's the thing, and this is, this is where we're going to get into, like, elaborate shipping webs. The thing is, if, if Magan is part of the super family that makes the potential relationship between her and superboy not the one actually in young justice which showed that sometimes relationships just end and that's great and that's amazing but you know mcgahn you know i'm just saying you don't want to you don't want to like cut off that particular potential i don't think it does i mean steph and tim are both part of this bat family and they're still a couple yeah good point yeah like it just make it just means their stories are more connected and they're doing things more with each other. And to be fair, another Connor's reason. currently not around, so maybe yeah. he'll come back and we yeah, can have he, that conversation. He's a thorny copyright issue. Um, but yeah, like yeah. at the same time, he's got, got him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and to further build on the whole point about stuff you can't really have Batman do, uh, the Nolan verse very much tangled with the idea of Batman as an intersection of government. Like, you saw repeatedly that Batman was basically taking over an infrastructural role that normally we perceive as being acceptable for the government to have. The, the, the absolute surveillance of everyone's phones. That, that, that's ridiculous um, in-universe as a private business way to do it. But at the same time, we do have uh, you know, a degree of government surveillance of the streets with you know general public cameras and whatnot. So that, that right there, I don't like how that worked. On the other hand, Dick Grayson uh, periodically setting down the Nightwing persona to be basically James Bond. That's cool for a little while. Don't 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 overdo it. Just, just a little while. Just a little while. Yeah, like, that's it's on the that's that doesn't bug me as much considering he's also been what I would consider undercover as a cop for a long period of time. Yeah. So it's like, well, yeah, sure, you know. Again, uh, there is the funny thing of I don't know who said it—the idea that DC hates Nightwing so much they try, they keep trying to bury him, and he just keeps coming back stronger. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> like, look, we gave him a gun. Don't you hate him now? No, nah, he's really sexy in that shirt. We love him. <laughs> you can't, you can't keep Grayson down. <laughs> but just that, well, inter- but even like if you want like Bat military, go no further. Then, uh, Catherine Kane, Batwoman, whose whole identity is revolved around her, like, military background, her military history, her military family, and how they kicked her out for being gay. And, and that's strong, and her interaction with her father as a, as an arm of the military and the establishment is, was great, you know? And I don't want to spoil too much about the first arc of Detective where she deals with that, because it's good, and you should read it if you enjoy mm-hmm. these sorts of stories. And, um, there are more like half pairs, like the super family, the actual Superman family. Like it yeah. comes and goes, and it takes weird trips, you know. Yeah, the the Superman family is unfortunately in a, a, a sort of a special case on this front because one of the things that allowed the Bat family to work is because everything was very low stakes and people were easily threatened by guns and whatnot. You had characters coming and going and being replaced for very mundane means, and like the only really weird thing about it, the like really, if you take a broad look at it, is just the fact that some of these characters have been 17 for 20 years. Yeah. But the Superman family, because Superman is basically a center point for the whole universe, and every connected element of his universe is 
kind of tied into a period where comics got really stupid and not stupid in a money way but just like really jimmy olsen is marrying a werewolf gorilla stupid um that means that a lot of the super family kind of is in a quantum state of existing or not existing and you have stories that are about embracing the ridiculousness of that period and you have stories that are about no definitely not embracing that ridiculousness and there's a real tension with all that which means that there isn't really a good codified family at the moment for superman and like you can broadly guess you've got supergirl power girl superman and maybe superboy and steel and his daughter yeah and well that's the thing i i honestly consider them to be kind of expanded content in the same way that i would consider uh what's his name the the good lex luther son and and uh nightwing like the the original mars nightwing um like all those characters are part of the super family kind of like cousins but the core of that family isn't really well structured or handled i feel like the spider family has kind of like that and i feel like all they need to do is take the effort to do it to say you know what and again they have a model here they can say okay superman is superman's book action comics is the super family book because superwoman has been really interesting like because it has like uh, i didn't even mention her how sad is that well superwoman is another one of those flux characters where she's been 15 different people at once you know right now superwoman is two people she's lana lang you know, Superman, uh, Clark Kent's old Smallville girlfriend who has kind of inherited his, uh, red, blue era powers where he's, you know, he turned into an energy being. She's doing that shit as red. And then there was, uh, Lois Lane who just has Kryptonian abilities, like an alternate version of Lois Lane, which is already right. convoluted in and of itself. God. An but alternate just, version of Lois Lane. Listen to us. <laughs> in main cast, I hate that, 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 this bullshit is for the multiverse episode. Mm. But yeah. yeah. If they coalesced a lot of that, if they said, okay, here's action comics, it's about Superman shows up every once in a while, but his son and uh, Connor and Supergirl and Power Girl and Steel and Lana, they have adventures. And uh, John and Red Tornado, I want to sneak, I want Red Tornado to get in there. And Atlee, that they're in this book and we just tell stories about them and we yeah. hammer down that this is the family. Well, right? look, look if, if your sister is in the family, your sister's girlfriend is in the family. Exactly. <laughs> I think she fits, you know? And again, yeah. that's, speci- that's speciation. They're not all people who fly and are strong and are tough. You got Atlee in there. You got Steel in there. You've got Lana in there. Yeah. Um, again, you've got Martian Manhunter. And I, and I keep Though, jam- I, I guess yeah. real quick now, uh, for in case the listener has no idea who the hell we're talking about, um, <clears throat> Superman, we're assuming you know Superman. Okay. Uh, Power Girl is the blonde with a white outfit and a really noticeable big boobs who kind of gets brought on and off uh, the line because the artists just really love drawing her. Atlee is Power Girl's Earth Kingdom kind of roommate. Like, if you told me who, if you told me that they were girlfriends, I wouldn't doubt that. But, you know, whatever. Um, Supergirl, I, I think we can... I think we can just trust people know Supergirl. She's got a major show. She got shit going on. You know her. It's, she's Clark's cousin from before he was sent to Earth. Yeah. Uh, there are the current Superboy in comics is John Kent, Superman's biological son with Lois Lane. The one most people are thinking about when you say Superboy is Connor Kent, a clone of him. Who well, Flashpoint got him, so he's not around right now. He might show up again in the future. He's in Young Justice. Yeah, he's going to be in well, the show. A version of him is in Young Justice. 
Yeah, that's pretty close to who and what he is. Uh, Steel is what, John he, Henry Irons. The gay, he, he, sorry, he's the son of the gay marriage of Lex Luthor and Superman? Pretty much. <laughs> I love Mix comics. It, throw in some Cadmus in there, you know, spread it around. Um, John Henry Irons is a tech guy. He's kind of like Iron Man. Uh, he is a, His name is Steel, and he works in Metropolis. Um, who do we get? Lana Lang is a childhood friend of Clark's Kent, who is now in Metropolis, and as of today, has superpowers. Um, Lois Lane, you could probably, you could wing that. And then there's Red Tornado. Red Tornado is, I'm just, I'm. this is me, f- like, fan casting. Yeah. <laughs> Red Tornado yeah. is a robot with wind powers. <laughs> this is clay. This is a clay thing. <laughs> Red Tornado's cool. I think he should be a part of the super family, because nobody else is doing anything with him, and he would work. He would work really well. Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing about Red Tornado that I would really like in that dynamic is you have all these characters who, by definition, aren't good at fitting into their society in general, and uh, but they have all these natural advantages in that they look like people, and Red Tornadoes are like, well, I guess it's easy for you. Right, and you know, that whole, like, you know, an- analysis of the self and who am I, like, that, that's Red Tornado's whole bad, you know. Does the robot have a soul? That's like 90% of his stories. But he's cool, and he has cool powers, and he's different. Plus, if you have an Earth character, might as well yeah. have an Air character. Yeah, you got, and you got the got elemental bases covered. Yeah, and of course, Martian Manhunter. He's a Martian. He's a detective, and he hunts men. Uh, he has way too many powers. Yeah. Martian Manhunter's got a lot going on. And yeah, of course, we... and of course, his niece, Miss Martian. Same thing, but Miss. Yeah. I, I, have going a, on, I have a huge um, soft spot for Magan based out of Young Justice's choices to depict her as basically a super queer weeb girl. I I just really like her. There was a little bit of that in Teen Titans, but there was a lot of other stuff going on in the Teen mm. Titans books at the time. So she you know you know, people everybody gets thrown to the wayside when when plot yeah. happens. Yeah. When flashpoint gets ya. And and it's funny when you talk about like Power Girl as if like she doesn't have her own ridiculous complicated set oh, of origins. It's, it's a nightmare. It's just um, like, hey, hey, she's alternate universe Supergirl from pre-crisis, but also post-crisis, but also, oh man. And the, she is currently in flux right now. I would love for her to come back as something that's cleaner and easier to explain. Yeah, that, that 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 is the big thing about her. In the conceptually and narratively, she is a super clean, effective character. But because comics, and God, I hate comics, uh, her actual existence is really ridiculous and is justified in these really awful silly ways like like so 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 here's here's one of the things about the whole formation of family in the context of superman one of the core conceits of superman is he is the last son of krypton like that was that was framing for that character he's meant to be the last hope of his whole culture trying to trying to the last beyond the the apocalypse that claimed them right and then you have characters who are directly related to him, like genetically, like his cousin and his sister, and, and and that kind of stuff comes up, and then immediately starts diluting that concept space, which people didn't really care about, but it does mean that, that phrase, the last son of Krypton, has to be, you know, get some asterisks on it. Like, you know, we do mean son. We, we mean the last male gendered baby of, you know, and definitely not dog, you know, and definitely not a horse. Or um, monkey, or cat. Yeah, exactly. And, and that means that uh, Superman's family is, it's just messy. And, like, Batman's family is messy too, but you can ignore so much of the messiness because there's no big question mark about, 
where does a cool, uh, stylish street rat character who can solve crimes good come from? That's not so hard to answer. It's where does the Kryptonian with a totally different set of symbolism and just the most outrageous design come from exactly? That asks a question that the character kind of has to answer. So the, the family element of Superman is kind of at odds with the defining elements of what makes Superman Superman. Yeah, and again, if they have an opportunity to bring Power Girl back in a way that makes sense, because she, they don't have her right now, and God, I hope they do, because I would mm. like to see her come back as she was. And again, because she's so tied up in crisis shit and multiverse shit, that's another episode. But yeah, and I can understand... I can totally understand authors who may want to bring her back just being like, I don't, uh... Psycho Pirate was involved, and... Yeah. An Anti-Monitor, and... Yeah, this dates back to knowing what the Anti-Monitor is. And it doesn't have to be, because none of, nothing that she does has anything to do with that shit. She's just a regular-ass super character flying around saving people. Yeah, so that's and just the frustrating a- thing is that if you... Uh, I, I've spoken about this before. But the the nature of the super family, ignore, ignoring the actual like structural elements of where they come from and how their powers work or whatnot. But if you boil the super fam down to Supergirl, Power Girl, Superman, and Superboy, right? You have Superman, and he he is a person with his power who looks at the world and goes, "Oh, I'll be Superman." That that just makes sense. That's the most obvious, sensible thing for me to do with my moral framework and my power structure and my my existence that you know i don't need some sort of special justification of like well why would you superman that's just who he is it makes sense to him you have supergirl who doesn't have that same upbringing and framework but who comes into a world with superman in it and now she's like well that's the only person i know who is like me and i want to be part of that that uh that that space so i want to be Uh, I want to be like a Superman. So she has the example of Superman to build off, right? And she gets to usually meet that standard. So that's that's how she builds on that concept. Then you have Power Girl, who is the character who looks at the world with her powers and goes, I want to be Superman because it's cool. Because it's fun. Because it feels good to be good. Because saving people is good. Like, she's the one who's, who's getting, like, a very positive emotional reaction out of this whole thing. It's not a, a weight to her. And then you have Superboy, who is the character who steps into the world. Superman already exists. And Superman is, again, like with Supergirl, the thing most like him in the world. And he's like, I want to live up to that standard. And he can't. And that right there is the family dynamic of those four characters in that you have every single one of them has a different take on why they do the things they do. And each one of them has different things that frustrate them about what they do. But they're all, they're not questions of like, well, should we even be heroes anymore? Why not run an empire? They don't, they don't need to have that question because there are still interesting questions and an interesting family dynamic between those four basic sources of different outlook. And when, in terms of outlook on power and like superheroism, it's funny to look at, say, the, the Arrow family, like Green Arrow, Speedy, uh, yeah. Speedy 2, Artemis, Arrowette, um, Connor Hawk and Black Canary who kind of married into the family that way and like because you know it's funny to me when people talk about say like the adaptation of Green Arrow and they, like and they 
roll their eyes at it being very like soap opera drama y because I define Greeno <laughs> I define him almost entirely by his relationships with other people and less about anything unique to him. You know? Yeah. He's he's Green Arrow's boyfriend. He's Arsenal's bad father and and a Connor Hawk's bad father. <laughs> yeah. And um Arrowette and uh, Speedy Two's good father. And, okay. So if know, I can if I can get even more tiresome here, because I I know I just took over for a fair bit with the super super characters, but in the case of Green Arrow, everything about Green Arrow is relationships. Everything. The the whole reason that Green Arrow exists as a as a Green Arrow character is because he had as a relationship to his father insight into a conspiracy and the nature of that conspiracy meant he couldn't just fix it by telling people about it he needed more information and he needed access and control and he needed allies and whatnot that all his relationships that's the best way to do a pure natural character in that kind of situation it's all the people he's connected to i do kind of wish and this is similar this is similar to the Flash, and is similar to a thing that has happened recently with Spider Family. Is that they're all Arrow people, they're all Archers, and I would love to see more speciation between them, and I would love to see them all like branch out in that way. Because first of all, we haven't seen Arrowette, and we haven't seen Speed, you know, Mia Dearden in forever, and Arsenal's doing fine on his own. Him and Green Arrow, him and uh, Black Canary are teaming up these days, um, but. I, w- I want to see again. I want a grandpa. I want Wildcat to come in to be, you know, Arrow Grandpa. Do you remember very, very briefly in the early thousands there was that character? There was that book called The Outsiders. Sir, I love The Outsiders. Well, I love the classic Outsiders. Yeah, I was going to say the, the first run of The Outsiders I quite liked. I, it got a little weird, but I really quite liked the fact that you had Arsenal and Robin both sitting in that particular group, sitting around going, "Yep, well, <laughs> what do we do without you know." him what do you do without a billionaire on your back and, and and everything i think about when it comes to green now is like familial related in terms of his relation to other superheroes in that context but when, it's funny when it comes to spider-man because he has developed a family over the last you know 10 20 years i yeah. always view him isolated like the yeah from the rest from the rest of the entire superhero universe and like there's a spider family but they're much more distant in that way which is not a bad thing because I've become more interested in them over time because of the various things Spider-Man has been up to. But like well, I got really into Silk and I got real I'm getting in more into Spider-Woman because of her relationship with Silk. And I miss Aranya, which I am like one of five mm. people who gives a shit about Aranya. But Hey, hey, hey. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah. <laughs> just just saying. Oi. see so uh, again with that whole formation over time thing. One of the things I think is really interesting about the Spider family as it contrasts to the Bat family is the Bat family is collected. It's detritus. Robin, Batman existed without Robin for all of one and a half years. Robin Mm. is as much part of the Batman mythos as the Batmobile is, for crying out loud. In the case of Spider-Man, Spider-Man's family, the things that he was constantly connecting to, were mostly redeemed villains up until really recently. And I mean, like, the last 15 years ariane um existed in a twilight of the of the late 90s and she was originally treated as a very much as an alternative take on the character of like hey we're just going to do its own thing off in its own space and we're not going to necessarily connect it to spider-man though we are totally going to connect it to spider-man because that's what we do um showed up in the fifth issue (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but they but they told us they told us this isn't just going to be a spider-man book either there's a thing there's a very clear editorial, like, stated mandate where 
the easiest and quickest and most like binding way to make a superhero family is sidekicks. Yes. Bar none. Sidekicks and uh distaff counterparts. And Stanley said, I hate that shit. Yeah. And he didn't and he literally didn't start doing it until um they had the Hulk show, right? The Hulk TV show. Yeah. And uh some British uh sketch comedy person did a Lady Hulk sketch and they're like, Hmm, they could get us on that legally. We should start writing characters like that to cover our ass. So that's where you get She Hulk, Spider Woman, uh Miss Marvel, and those characters. And by the way, Miss for the Spider family, um <clears throat> Spider Woman has also not had a good run of it. Yeah, and she and it's funny, she has a hundred percent nothing to do with Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. She she has got a bunch of weird own, shit going on. She has her own job, she has her own supergroup, she's not really connected to him. Like when he's in the Avengers, she's not in the Avengers. Her whole set of power sets and tools are almost completely unrelated to his. Um, Which I love. Yeah, I, I also really love that. But if you look back, and if you're if you're like me, an aficionado of really weird ways that we expressed smut in history, um, and you just know the way certain things are signaled, Spider Woman has been on the cover of probably the most smutty seeming books in the history of comics. Like you name a not obviously sexual kink, and I guarantee you. There is a comic cover of Spider-Woman being exposed to it in some way. Like, being turned to stone, being made into a balloon, being tied to things upside down, being made into a werewolf, being made into a cat. It doesn't matter what it was, at some point, some cover artist was like, yeah, I'll get my $1,400 for doing this. It's funny, because I I, I started, like, like, I guess I started plugging into Spider-Woman because of her relationship as kind of a mentor figure to Silk, uh, Cindy yeah. Moon. And that turned, that turned me back to just the most recent runs of her. And in that, she, cause like previously she had been an Avengers character in my perception. And yeah. part of it, I just remember a joke my friend, like, like there's two things that happens in the Avengers, right? You know, Luke Cage says some black things, uh, Captain America says some hero things, Spider Woman does something weirdly sexual, and then Luke Cage goes, damn woman! And that's <laughs> And that's kind of how I viewed Spider-Woman. And she's not that anymore, but that's always in the back of my mind. Because she's got that pheromone thing that people forget about. Yeah. She can just, like, seduce people by being in their presence. And that and that's a really unfortunate part of the history of that character. And this is the thing. With the Spider-Family, the Spider-Family is something really exciting to get on board with right now. Because it's new. It's like, just happening. All these characters, uh, like, the, the oldest character in the Spider-Family, aside from Spider-Man proper is probably Spider-Woman, and she's, you know, she's vintage. But then it's like, what, uh, you've got uh, Silk. Kane's around. Yeah, but but you've got all these characters who who are effectively, from the past 15 years, characters who are reasonably fresh and new, and if they are older characters, they were characters who lied fallow for a long time, and then they got brought back. And it means you've got this this kind of wonderful, uh, bubbling set of, of very cool narrative options that aren't necessarily weighted down by 60 years of continuity. Yeah, and it's it's like I said, I, I've loved Silk because of how they're... It feels so much like a classic Spider-Man character since you're not getting that yeah. anywhere else anymore. She literally works for J. Jonah Jameson at a news station. Yeah, it's, at a news station. It's, it's there's, so there's on the nose. Your sense of disbelief. It's so on the nose and it's 
And despite that, it's fun. It's good. I honestly, like, because of, again, it's kind of the same thing as a power girl problem. So I don't know why I don't care too much about Spider-Gwen because she has all that alternate dimension shit going on. Yeah. Whereas I can just pick up Silk and it's like, oh, well, she, and again, the elevator pitch for her is an elevator pitch as opposed to you get in the elevator and you hit the emergency button and you say, okay, I'm going to tell you about Spider-Gwen now. You know, we're, <laughs> we're stuck here until the fire department comes. Okay. Okay. Let, let, let me, let me give you an elevator pitch for Spider-Gwen, and it requires symmetrical call and response. Do you know who Gwen Stacy is? Yep. Okay, cool. It's that if she was Spider-Man. Now try again. Here we go go again. Do you know who Gwen Stacy is? And now you say no. No. Uh, Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but because... No, her whole thing is she comes from Universe 65 to 616 on the weekends. Like, she comes here to our universe to fight crime in another dimension... For funsies. Yeah. And she's also on some dumb team called the Web Warriors where they go through dimensions and fight other spiders. That's the thing. Is she's she's very much a multiverse character. Yeah. I don't, I, that, that's her big thing. Like, if she was just Gwen Stacy fighting crime, yeah, sure. But she's all about the multiverse thing. And that's kind of the thing that, like, trips me up with her. Whereas I pick up Silk, it's here and now. I pick up Spider-Woman, it's here and now. I used to pick up Aranya, it was here and now. That's one of the most disappointing things is they just made her into a generic spider person because she used to have her own things going on. All this conspiracy shit and when I, she could have contained the evil of fucking Morloon and the other and all that shit people kind of don't like but can't seem to get rid of for whatever reason. She could have done that. That could have been her whole thing and it wouldn't have spread out and we wouldn't have had things like Spider-Verse, but... Yeah, and look, I'm, I'm not about to defend that particular pile of nonsense, but the, the point is that, like, if you... You know what it is? If you're a young girl and you think Spider-Man looks cool, we can point to comics that are actually, like, approachable and not mm. creepy and say, hey, check it out. This stuff is actually super cool. You should you should totally look into that. Yeah, I, re- I, re- I really wish she had her own. She, she had her at least, uh, ma- well, she's in Web Wars, I think, sometimes. And I, I wish they had did more, done more with her because it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed, not only did I enjoy her stories, I enjoyed how different they were from her rest of her family. And that is the kind of the thing, right? Because, like, the Spider family tends to be way more different from each other than, say, the Bat family in that yeah. way. Because of how tight they are. Or the Flash family, well, of the Flash family. But here's the other one is the Hulk family. There's a family there. Yeah, well, the Hulk, the Hulk family is a little weird because you kind of have to, like, it's not one that leaps to mind. You do have to mention it, and then there's this sort of like, oh, yeah, there is actually... Yeah, there's, Hulk, there's She-Hulk. There's um, Doc Samson. I think he pretty fairly counts. Um, yeah. There's Sakar, which everybody likes to forget. Uh, there's the two Red Hulks, Red Hulk and Red She-Hulk. And uh, I think there's another one, but that's a pretty solid number, right? You got a grandpa in Red Hulk. You got main character Hulk. You got the lady. You got the friend. You got Sakar. <laughs> you can you can also kind of kind of briefly make the case for Hulkling. But he so totally doesn't. Yeah, he's a fucking, he's a fucking scroll. But yeah, yeah. He's, he's a scroll. It doesn't count. Just because you're green doesn't mean you're in the team, man. He's got the name. Now, now here's the other thing, right? Is there a Captain America family? Or is that I a would tribe? argue. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. I would argue main comics, no, just because it, it's so striated. There, like the the fact that Bucky didn't get a second real appearance in comics after his death until the 90s, like a 40-year gap for a character. Like, I, I'm perfectly willing to say that in the comics, no, there is not a Captain family. At least not at the moment. 
They totally should be. You you could totally do something rad with like Captain America, America Chavez, Bucky, um, and the the alternate universe uh, Lady Bucky, whose name completely escapes me. And the Falcon, and then, and now because we could probably yep. throw in depending on if you want to leave, say Black Widow to Shield or to give like throw her in her lot in with this this characters. That's the thing too, because Shield is too like deeply entwined, and that's a whole yep. other thing that it, yeah, it throws a, a wrench. Right, it throws a wrench in the whole process. Mm-hmm. Shield, by definition, can't allow for the environment of a fight or of a family or a tribe because, by dint of being an international government agency with a huge amount of power and oversight, it needs to care about more than just your space. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd argue, from at least from my definition, that they you could probably argue that a lot of Shield's characters can you know qualify as a superhero tribe because part of this yeah. is also my looking at it from the perspective of like publishing and what have you like does each of these characters have their own book and also a group book sort of thing and mm-hmm. you could probably you could probably point that in show's direction i won't argue with you too much about it because of how they function as opposed to say how the outsiders or the defenders or the um night stalkers functions a different dynamic but now that room. said in the marvel cinematic universe including shield agents of shield you have the makings of a cap family you don't necessarily have it yet and I don't think that they're going to necessarily go in this direction. But you have the pieces. Because you've got Cap, and you've got Bucky, and you've got Falcon, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a common space they share. They all, you know, uh, until recently, uh, hung out in more or less the same space. They had, you know, you, you, you did actually have Black Widow who could effectively be, despite the fact that they're all older than her, she could effectively be their, you know, grandma figure going, no, this is the stuff that the world you need to know about need to care about. You know, she she could do that binding work um and then weirdly and i can't believe i'm saying this you had hawkeye who could do the dad figure element of like no these are everyday concerns that none of you knuckleheads are going to follow along with you do need to pay attention to and need to respect like you've got that dynamic just waiting there and then there's the director character who gets like a couple of lines in the first movie who probably would mesh well into that group because well you've lost paulson and all that stuff in the main continuity because of the one flow rule uh, when it comes to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if you've heard about this. Continue. So there is a rule in the production of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. which is called the one flow or one directional flow, which is anything from the movies is Ah, in continuity for the show, but the show cannot affect the continuity of the movies. So that means Paulson is... In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., from the perspective of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Paulson is not only still part of S.H.I.E.L.D. and still alive and running around, but he is doing so and avoiding ever being seen by Captain America. Yeah, I am un- I'm mildly ashamed to say, no, I've, I've seen the whole show and I've heard all this drama. And I, the thing is, I, I keep checking out and they keep tricking me. They're like, hey, we got Ghost Rider. I'm like, ah, damn it. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Let's see your Ghost Rider. Okay, that's, that looks nice. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, it's good. Uh, then now he's gone up three episodes. You fucking got me again! <laughs> but yeah, there's, that's some, like, hardcore bullshit. And it's really weird, especially because all the announcements about, oh, the, the, you know, Infinity War and stuff, and you, they got posters, and there's a trailer that you can, you know, watch being filmed on a potato somewhere. And it's like, hey, we have, you know, Daredevil, we have a Defender show. We could totally get these actors that we are not paying nearly enough to just pop up in a, you know, yeah, Luke Cage yeah. and Iron Fist and Daredevil and um, Jessica Jones can show up and do a thing 
in Infinity yeah. War if you actually gave a shit. Not to mention that Cloak and Dagger are about to get their own show. Hey! Yo, they, they, there's there's a trailer, dude. It's out. It's there now. It's it's happening. It's it's going through. It's on some uh, like ABC Kids Family Show type thing. It's gonna be a teen drama show, which is Cloak and Dagger. No shit. <laughs> so I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard of the Cloak and Dagger show since it's first like got mentioned that they're gonna make a Cloak and Dagger show. And the joke was Christopher Nolan has signed on to do the Dagger and Dagger show. <laughs> It's so funny because Cloak and I, I said this before. Cloak and Dagger. Well, I think they definitely fall under like the street level tribe, and they don't really have a family or belong to anyone's yeah. family. They're, 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 they bas- they're basically family with each other, and that's it. Like their, their yeah. whole dynamic being definitively a pair, kind of yeah. would it just wouldn't work if yeah. you if you but had to expand it to a greater group. They're such a problem solving machine, Cloak and Dagger, that the the existence of them in the MCU makes me question why the fuck. Tony Stark went to Queens to get Spider-Man when he could have gotten Cloak and Dagger. Well, the... They the fixed imme- everything! <laughs> the immediate glib answer is that part of their powers is hiding them from Tony Stark because everything Tony Stark touches turns to poop. But just the sh- And the fact that they won't show up to fight Thanos, the spider, like, hey, it's Thanos! I sent it to the Dark Force Dimension. Why is there a movie? He's being eaten by demons now. Why is there a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, Cloak and Dagger are a bit of a bad. Uh, it's like the Spectre. Like, someone was asking, when are we going to see a Spectre movie? And I'm like, the Ten Commandments already exists, man. <laughs> when are we going to see a Spectre movie? When God comes down and makes it himself. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it, by the way, uh, th- this whole family thing. Like, I, I remember how we mentioned at the start that the X-Men are, um, they're not so much a superhero family as much as they are a family in a superhero universe, right? Yeah. Let me tell you very briefly about the Exiles. Mm, it's funny. Continue. So, so the Exiles, by all accounts, are they are X Men cruft, right? They are what happens when the X Men get overfilled, and then the fill off goes into the new X Men, and the overflow of that gets into young X Men, and the overflow of that winds up being uh, X Force, and then the overflow of that, the little crusty bits around the edges that get thrown away, become the Exiles. The Exiles also has a lot of, like, outside stuff, because they're very much about, um, like, timelines and multiverse, am I correct? Oh, yeah, they're, they're, bas- they're basically what if the X-Men were sliders. Right, they're like time cops or dimension cops sort of thing. And yeah. I think they have Spider-Man 2099 in there, don't they, uh, Miguel O'Hara? Yeah, they did. Like, y- you look at the lineup, the team, the team roster for the Exiles is embarrassing in the way of watching a, uh, 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 you know how you've got those TV shows they're making these days, which are just using all the character actors who are just, you know, pretty good at a, at a role, and they're just, like, using them because they're cheap. And so you every yeah. single show you're like, oh, it's that guy, what's he do again? Oh, it's that lady, what's she in again? Uh, 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 I can't remember. That's the thing with the lineup of The Exiles. You look at the names and you're like, I'm sure I know someone you're related to. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they have a version of Morph in there? Like, who had never existed, and then it was like, hey, Morph! Remember Morph? No, actually, we don't remember yeah, no, Morph. Yeah, no one knows Morph. Morph existed for the TV show. That was it. Yes, Kevin Sidney from Earth 1084, who was possessed by Proteus, then merged with Proteus, and currently serves as the Time Broker. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about, like... Comics are keeping, so dumb. <laughs> you want to talk about keeping the house in order. Like, I, I, I hear a lot of X-Men fans say that X-Men is looking good right now in terms of comics. But just listening to, like, the pitches, they're so all over, like, they they don't seem to have a good sense of each of those books serving a specific function in the greater X-Men, like, you know, 
you know, spear, where it's, it would make sense that there's X-Men, and that's the main superhero book, and you read that to know what's happening with X-Men, and then you read, like, X-Force, and that's the dark book where they kill people, right? And then yeah. you read something like Excalibur, where they go around the world and have adventures, and you read something like Exiles, which is about time traveling, like, it's not that clear, it's weird, right? There's X-Men Blue and X-Men Gold, and then X-Weapon X, and it's like, and like, and they have, X-Men has such strong branding that they could easily keep their house in order, I mean, if, you know, around that sort of thing. And part of that is, I don't think a lot of the, the big two think in that sort of football like sports team way to like okay we need to put all these things here you know put the toys in the way they should be and then go from there which would be so much easier for people to get involved it would solve the how do i get in the comics conversation you yeah. say oh you like you like x-men oh which x-men book do you read x-men you read yeah. the book that says x-men and if you want anything else you go read one of these clearly defined and distinctly named side books you know you say, I want to read Batman. Well, I read Batman. Okay, but what if I want to know about the rest? And read Detective. I want to know about Spider-Man. Well, you read Spider-Man. What if I want to know about his friends? You read, oh, I don't know, a book called The Slingers, which is not out, but I miss those characters. <laughs> <laughs> a ready-made family. Everybody forgot. So, so the nature of the exiles, he says, you get back to there. Um, and by the way, Clay is absolutely right. Just, just seriously, do what Clay says, and I might start collecting these things again. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it just has to be you- able to be approached in a way. There has to be a, a clear path through it. You know. Do, do you know why that- I collected as much Deadpool as I did? Because there was just Deadpool. Because I could just <laughs> go to the comic store and go, "Oh, there's a new Deadpool, and the number is one higher than the last one I got. Great, I'll buy that." <laughs> God damn it, Exiles, man. <clears throat> so the ex, the Exiles have that whole found family thing, but because they're basically a a catching tray, a grease trap for the X-Men, they have all these leftover concepts that are just kind of... They're either gender swaps of existing characters or hot gender swaps of existing characters, including, by the way, Lady Sasquatch. So, you know, that's awesome. I'm sorry, Um, isn't that just just a snowboard morph? Like, doesn't she already turn into Sasquatch whenever she wants to? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it... They, they also downpowered her, as is the tradition of things. But the thing is, alright, so the Exiles did one thing in all of their surprisingly long run. They did do the Wolverine Squad. Where for one episode, one, one arc of Count- a comic. Countdown to Infinite Wolverines, I remember that! <laughs> yes! Every single member of the Exiles was, without explanation, completely replaced with another character who was Wolverine. You had... Major Logan, who was the Wolverine from Days of Future Past. You had Albert and Elise D- and LCD, which was an android Wolverine and the android little girl who was a bomb made to kill Wolverines. Patch, who was just a Wolverine, Wolverine with, with, an eye patch. Patch. with an eye patch. And he had the magic purse of shit. He went to the hood and put on an eye patch. Yes. You had Weapon X, who was a Wolverine who had only just hell. escaped the facility. So he, he was just still like, he had no dialogue, and characters still asked him questions, and he was still going back, rawr, 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 Bob. Rawr. They had James Howlett, who was like Wolverine at the age of like twenty, had little tiny knuckle powers. claws. They were yeah. like little baby knuckle claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they also threw in this mix, Zombie Wolverine from the Marvel Zombies universe. God, fuck Marvel Zombies. <laughs> And I think that right there, that that is weirdly perfect. 
for the entirety of this ridiculous nonsense. Like, you know they were trying to make a point. And you know that the people signing the paychecks went, hmm, great idea. We're not going to get the point. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, it's, ah, oh, man. Like, Wolverine has this weird family situation going on. But, like, half of them are antagonists and actual relatives. It's, it's super, like, dubious. You know? Yeah. I mean, Even just going, like, X-23, docking, uh, uh, Sabretooth, obviously. Uh, see, that's it. That's the three, right? Who we would count. Because, like, Sabretooth goes back and forth sometimes when he yeah. has an actual leash on his neck. Yeah. And to be fair, that's kind of great. Like, and a family doesn't need to be big, but it does need to have enough variety in it. Yeah, that's kind of the problem, too. Like, you don't, you don't get to be a Wolverine person unless you heal and cut things. Yeah. And to be fair, uh, you've got, like, a, a really interesting couple of characters in that, but for the most part, the Wolverine family would be Wolverine and all of his ex-girlfriends. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, that's just kind of dull. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm reaching for other, like, like realms of these figures, because there's a lot, and it, it, it all depends on, again, how willing the people creating them are, are to just make a bunch of dumb side characters that can spin off into their own thing. Like, I remember talking about the Slingers a little while ago, and I, I've heard word that they might be coming back, and I do hope they do, because there was such an interesting little pocket of stuff that happened and didn't go anywhere, because yeah. apparently I'm the only one who cares about that kind of thing, where you have, you know, a uh, quick rundown. There was this period of time in which there was a one of several periods of time in which Spider-Man was a wanted man. You know, yeah. happens every five years. From now um, and again. Yeah, and so he, he it got so bad he couldn't like push his butt up against the window without someone trying to shoot it off. So he creates five identities and tries to solve his case, and he does. And then he discards these identities, and then five weirdos pick them up, and they have a series for a while. It's pretty great. <laughs> and one of them uh, appeared in Runaways for a while as one of the adults trying to teach the kids how to be right. You remember like um, they were called Excelsior. They were like a uh, self help group for former teen heroes. Yeah. The guy with the jack with the '90s ass jacket and the cool bouncing powers, and he threw things around. That was one of the Slingers, and uh, these guys are coming back in, I guess, the new Spider-Man slash Ben Riley book. We'll see how that plays. I would really love them to just again make a book that's just Spider Family, and they, everybody doesn't have to be in it because it's weird. Because Detective Nightwing's not in it, Robin's not in it, Red Hood's not in it, Huntress is not in it, and I kind of wish they'd show up every once in a while just to remind us they're there. I would love for Nightwing just to, like, stop by and, like, be the cool uncle and talk mm -hmm. to the younger guys. doesn't happen. But, again, just to create that clear path, because that allows people an in who might not be in. People who just don't give a shit about Peter Parker anymore might have an in with Cindy Moon, might have an in with Aranya, might have an in with Jimmy Gallo or any of these figures. And it'd be great to see that connection. Like, one of the more interesting things about, uh, like I said, the season 5 era was... He went out of his way to create a family. He picked up Wild Dog. He picked up a new Artemis. Uh, he picked up Ragman for some reason. Uh, and Mr. Terrific. Hey, and he pulled the storm. <laughs> no, Ragman's great. He's just really incongruous in there because he's very much a superhero with magic powers. And he's surrounded by all these other guys who are just dudes with cool gadgets at mm. best. It's like, wait, yeah. why are you here? It, it, is a bit, went, it is a bit like seeing John Hawksmore on the Bat Family. Yeah. <laughs> And that's actually a thought. Like, how do you feel about weird, like, gaps in power within a family? Because right now there's this girl called Gotham Girl running around, like, on the fringes of Bat Comics. 
She's she's there. She's probably gonna die, but she's a she's basically a Kryptonian. Oh, in Gotham. No, no, no. It was an interesting arc where these two Kryptonian powered figures show up. And they're like, "No, Batman, we're here to help you." And he's like, mm, "Okay, maybe." He doesn't get angry or weird. He just goes, "All right, let's see how this plays out." It does not play out well because that is how comic books are, and we're yeah. left with just Gotham Girl, and she's a little bit off now because she met Psycho Pirate, and he does that to you. That's his thing. But that's this huge gap, and there's also like the figure of the Guardian, who is a Metropolis character, and he's basically just Captain America. You know, in Metropolis, with like five super people. So that's a weird space. And I would honestly, I'd love to see him go over to the Arrow family because there's more room for that character to grow there than there. And I don't, I don't well, Gotham Girl is going to probably die in the next year. That's not a very good arc for her to go. Yeah. And especially, especially if the writers change out. And I, honestly, I don't, that was a nice story to watch like Batman not be a crazy person and like tell a Kryptonian to get out of his town. And try to yeah. be reasonable about things. That was interesting. That should have ended where it ended, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if these massive gaps in like style and like you know attributes can work inside a family. Like, so if I can, if if um, let let's assume that there are two basic ways we can treat we can treat this. We could treat this about how I feel about what they did, or we could treat this as how I feel about what they should do. One of them yeah. is me buying stuff, and the other one is me wearing my fantasy editor hat. <laughs> and as a like as a as a consumer yeah sure i'll read it it'll probably be pretty good like the way you've described it it sounds like it's done a pretty good job it also sounds like it's actually had batman like make a detective moment of like huh i can look at these objects in motion and you know accurately conduct the future kind of thing like you know doing something he very rarely gets to do these days because they've gotten so used to just and then he used a tank but yes editorially speaking i really dislike grotesque power imbalance in a family because unless it's handled with a very specific style it tends to make it so that one character is effectively constantly being asked why do you keep these other people in danger not why do you keep these people around like you know you like them that's a perfectly good reason to keep them around but why are they going into situations that are so dangerous for them when you could handle it without them like in in the climax of the Avengers movie, all right, uh, there is there there is a city invasion. There is a massive, destructive, almost apocalyptic invasion of a city by an alien force. Buildings are being smashed. People are being killed. It is, from the perspective of Black Widow, D-Day. Thor is fine. Like, Thor might wind up failing to save the day, but Thor's not going to die. Thor's probably not even going to get seriously hurt. And so for those two characters to fight back to back, like, he swings his arm back too fast and hits his ally, he pops her head off. It, it's it's a power imbalance that obviously the, the narrative and the way they handle that means that that doesn't come up, and it's not really the same thing, and it does, I, I know I'm simplifying, I know I'm being reductivist, but it does, in any kind of family environment, when that stuff happens over time, and people become part of one another's emotional support network, it does give you this problem of why are these characters being put in danger like this. The, the Batman family handles this reasonably well because the level of threat everyone faces is roughly equal like they're all threatened like, anyone with a gun is a lethal threat all right so at that mm -hmm. point anything above that point they're all dealing with stuff that's way too dangerous for them all the time and if batman doesn't have his emotional support network he goes off the deep end like that's a well-established thing about batman if batman doesn't have the grounding elements of his family he becomes 
what Frank Miller thinks is cool. Mm. So that works. But when it's like, say, Superman hanging out with, let's say, Power Pack, that feels really weird. And it makes you question the more powerful character's judgment. Yeah, and on, on a certain, like, a, on a, like, editorial level, a lot of families and a lot of tribes are united by, I'd say, genre. And so you have this weird thing of, as much as we say, oh, the superhero universe, we have a god and a scientist and a monster all together. And like, well, they get together in the Avengers, where it's all about everyone coming together. They get together in those big team books. Usually they stay to their own little circles. So you have the entire Bat family. They're mostly one genre of character. The entire super family, such as it is, is one genre of character. And you have the, they're not just dealing with different power levels, which is part of, like, power is part of genre and superhero stuff in the sense that, like, you're not going to be a space character if your ability is that you have fast reflexes, you know? Yeah. You're going to, you're probably, probably going to want to have abilities that allow you to fly and breathe in space and things like that if you're going to be a space character, even if you're not a cosmic level threat. If you're going to fight, you know, aliens, even just like scrolls, you should be very, a certain level of power. So that sort of brings that together. And I, I, I do kind of wish we see, saw like a less strictly like, married thing of genre and power level because I would love to see more lower level characters in yeah. higher level environment kind of like what the Guardians do with um Star-Lord where he's just a dude but like it's not that's really dubious because two uh, I would say like two thirds of the Guardians are just people with guns and or weapons you yeah. know Groot's the most powerful thing there <laughs> Ma- yeah. matter of fact it's more than two thirds it's basically everybody but Groot yeah and, and I, so on the note of like, it makes you question the character's judgment, though. Like, consider, I harp about how much I love Young Justice. Billy Batson hangs out with with the uh, with the Young Justice crew. And the Young Justice crew scales from McGann and Superboy to Robin. There is kind of an over... It's weird. And, like, nobody there is physically stronger than, like, Luke Cage. That, that's basically... Um, they're, they're, none of them are stronger than a TV show character, you know? On a budget. And, um, well, he's Shazam. He, he is, yeah, in terms of say, raw Super, power. Superboy, Superboy gets shown doing some pretty goofy shit. But, well, yeah. but on drugs. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, yeah okay, good point. I forgot, I forgot, I forgot that that was the don't do drugs because drugs are awesome and will make you super powered and also help you connect to your dad. Right? Like, he's always been shown as not <laughs> quite as strong as Superman and not having the, the breadth of abilities he has and, that's why I would say he's probably around Luke Cage level in terms of strength and durability. Yeah. But, again, you know, that's the joke, right? It's Shazam. He's like actually a kid inside. Yeah. So he does these sorts of things. We don't, so it does, we don't, so it does make know. sense in that case. Yeah, it's... I would also argue that's part of the problem, and this is a, for, I guess, for, like, all-star teams to say, where you don't want too many low-level, you know, low-level characters on those sorts of teams that have assembled figures from different families and tribes together, because, like, why are you here, right? Yeah. And especially for a low-level character. I think part of that is, if you're a low-level character in that environment, you need to provide something way more esoteric than your actual skills. Like, your actual abilities. You need to be the leader, the strategist, the hacker, the thief, something like that. Alright? Like, the Hulk's not gonna, you know, sneak into a place and steal a machine. That's what Black Widow's there for. He's not gonna make a plan, that's what Captain America's there for. Yeah. But... There's only so much, like, that's the, why is Hawkeye there? He, he provides none of those skills. <laughs> he has nothing else to offer to the team, right? It's kind of the same thing where, where I, I don't like seeing, say, Batman and Black Canary and Green Arrow all on the same team, because why are, 
Black Canary and Green Arrow on the team. Like, if Black Canary and Green Arrow and Batman are both all in the Justice League, two of those people are redundant. Yeah. Sorry, just, like, like, occasionally this podcast lapses into this problem where Clay's just right about stuff. So I'm just like, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and that's the thing of diff- way, like, massive, like, gaps in power. That's part of why I, I'm, I like the idea of Jay Garrick coming back as the Thunderbolt, but also the Thunderbolt is a genie. And so... <clears throat> like that's 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 my favorite thing. That's specialization, and that's you know a now, super grandpa. But now there is like, a, there is one thing here which is very important for characters likes like Captain America and, and Black Widow and whatnot, which isn't a problem for characters like Superman and the Flash, which is being in the same being in the right time and place because the Flash effectively can get anywhere quick enough. That's like that's like the defining point of his powers. Superman is fast enough that he can get wherever he needs to be at any point in time. But in the case of the the super uh, the, of the Captain America family and Hawkeye, Hawkeye is as effectively Hawkeye is an extra pair of hands that they can trust to keep himself alive in these ridiculous situations for when they need a button pushed or a thing observed or something like that. It's not a great power, but there is an actual value to the character being there. Until they recruited Quicksilver right around the same time they recruited him. Yeah, well there you have the problem, and I. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I don't even like the... Quicksilver. I, I even like all... Quicksilver. I think that's all the defending of Hawkeye I've got in me today. Uh, uh, oh, but... man. And, and for what it's worth, I don't like Quicksilver. I think Quicksilver is generally depicted as a dick. The best renditions of Quicksilver I've seen have been ones that lent hard into him being just an utter dick. Uh, X Men Evolution's Quicksilver, for example, I liked him a lot. But Age of Ultron, annoyingly, like really annoyingly, spent like five minutes characterizing him and then i'm like actually yeah i could i could like this guy on this team i could get oh oh, you motherfuckers (laughs) (laughs) have you seen the uh um the x-men version of which is by the way a weird fucking thing but have you seen the x-men movie version of quicksilver i've seen the one sequence to time in a bottle that everyone you know shared on youtube yeah we had yeah we talked about that right uh it's he's a little more enjoyable I would say. I mean, he does kind of do the asshole thing, but it's... He's giving people who deserve some shit, some shit, you know? But that is that thing. It's that massive gap and in a family environment where it's like... And especially... It's especially troublesome when this is a regular thing. Like you said, why are you keeping this person around? As opposed to, oh, I showed up for this event, so it's fine, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's okay this one time. Just don't do it every day. Yeah. Now, on, on this point, Quicksilver as a character and also this goes into play with batman's uh let, let's call it emotional needs the family lets you also represent ways in which the character's powers are a burden the problem with quicksilver being such a douche is quicksilver is bored like yeah there's a good all the little time letter. like all there's the a, time <laughs> there's a great panel of i think it's either it's a whole page of an avengers book where he's like playing 15 different songs on the piano at once and talking about how i think he's just um you know monologuing internally about how his whole life is spent waiting behind that one person at the bank who won't move you know yeah and and that's a that that's something that you can really delve into when you have a family who's able to give that emotional texture in the case of quicksilver he has an actual sister and that's its own problem and that's the uh uh, the house of m and yeah blah, blah 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 the entire magneto quicksilver relationship thing there are animal people involved. There are time travel and gypsies and lies and it's 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 some shit. <laughs> Look, the, this whole bubble 
of family relationships in the X-Men, who, again, aren't what we really consider to be a superhero family. Uh, but that whole bubble features the phrase impregnated with girl cock in the 1960s. And that's, <laughs> I don't think... and that's not the weird thing. I think we impregnated that's... that phrase into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that the thing is, I'm not saying not... it's an inaccurate phrase, but I don't think the phrase was in the lexicon when they were it, doing it. Was, it wasn't there, but the fact is, it's, it, it is it is there. It is implied upon. the The point is that's not weird by the standards of how weird the Magneto family gets. It actually now. has the least amount of time travel in this context. <laughs> I guess, like I said, unifying themes and stuff. I, I do wish, like, again, I wish there were less of just Bat-Person and just Flash-Person and just Spider-Person. That, because, not just, like, stylistically and visually and thematically, like, instead of, like, 15 different Spider-People, it was, like, Spider-Person, Lost-Person, B-Person, or something like that. Unfortunately, some other families are eating up that real estate, you know? Yeah. And it's that uh, weird cross. I would like to see more, like, marrying in. I want to see people from outside who are like lost and are adrift characters who don't have connections mm. being put in places that make the most sense for them yeah the for, for me i really like uh spider gwen and uh silk in this context around spider-man because their characters much like with the superman story are all given their own take on with great power there comes great responsibility because Peter Parker comes from a very particular time when that particular statement was issued to him with a very particular outlook on what the world was going to be like. Whereas Gwen is from that time, but also very much our, our view back on that time has changed. And uh, Silk is from a very completely different context entirely, which means that for them, the idea is with great power, what? What does great power imply to you from your framework, from what you think of the world. And I think that that's a really interesting way to use a very narrow part of the character multiple ways. I like that a lot. And you're actually touching on a good point here. I've talked before about how overuse overuse of individual characters has, you know, provided a big detriment to the narrative of superheroes in general. Yeah. And one of the, the good outs with family is I want to write this story and I need a Batman type character. Well, no, how about a Batman type? How about one of these 15 other people who are connected but aren't him, just to broaden the genre, like, make it more diverse. You want to use this specific archetype where well, we have an entire clutch of them, and you can't use the main one right now because we're trying to improve the writing. Yeah. So, no Batman for you, sir. Have a Nightwing, you know? No Spider-Man for you. Have a Silk. No Flash for you. Have a other Flash. <laughs> <laughs> have a Wally, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and... That's, uh, that, that's, that solves the everybody everybody is the same standard white guy problem. That solves the everyone everything is the same tone problem because you're bringing in more of the same, but in a different way. So yeah, superhero families, do them. Found families are great. We love them to pieces. You should you should totally write more of them. Comics authors who we know are listening to this, you should All of do you. exactly what we say. When, yes, yes. When, when has listening to the fans slavishly ever gone wrong for comics, especially when it comes to families? Oh, yeah. This yeah. has never gone wrong for the Bat family in the past. Or anybody who used to be married until Satan showed up. <laughs> anyway, that was Clay. That was Talon. Tune in next time for From the Rooftops when we'll be talking about Blade. Who has no family because they're all dead. <laughs> hey, hey, Whistler and Whistler's daughter. 
Actually, his actual real father is still alive and is a horrible person. So that's... Biggest. <laughs>